landlords can no longer freely just be landlords. Class action lawsuits against landlords, and some of them are in the legislature right. writing these bills. Don't get upset when we're supporting certain candidates or certain issues. We're not here on the Republican or the Democrat side. We're here on the realtor side. We all were told that we needed to get rid of the Gallagher Amendment and this would make this all better and everybody's upset because they didn't pay attention back then. The government is not really here to help people's lives be better. It's not the job of the government to make me feel happy about my environment. Get involved. Yeah. We need you to get involved. Yeah, we need yeah. you to get involved. Yeah. We need you to help us out because the media is not going to curry our favor. The right of first refusal that you mentioned definitely affects people who are trying to do 1031 exchanges because the... Welcome to the Policy Pulse podcast, breaking down real estate advocacy. Good morning. I'm here with Dr. Clarissa Thomas, and we are doing our Policy Pulse podcast for the month of February. So welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Weldon. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Yes, we had a very interesting meeting this morning uh, talking about a lot of the issues going on at the uh, state, local, and federal levels that uh, affect our real estate industry and our members. So we'll be talking about that this morning and uh, bringing you up to speed on some of the things we're watching at the state level. So anything you want to start off with this morning? Well, I mean, I think that the, the overarching discussion that we had was trying to understand some of the governor's priorities because housing is their biggest um, legislative priority item at the state level and how that you know, meshes or not meshes with our industry's priorities and our protection of private property rights and you know, the amount of money that they're trying to allocate or set aside from the state between Usually not general fund because, you know, everything else is allocated in the state of Colorado <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to different silos. But, you know, coming up with grants, um, some priority budgeting items and things like that towards what the governor considers his priorities, which are centered around increasing, obviously, housing affordability units, mm -hmm. increasing the supply of housing, transit-oriented development housing. And what that means is building housing around, around um transit development, um, just like the, the term says it, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's mm -hmm. light rail, which we don't have, but in the Denver metro area would be anywhere there's a light rail stop, they would increase density of housing units within those areas. And say, I, I'm not sure exactly how that would be applicable to places like Colorado Springs. We have bus lines. That is a transit depot, right? A transit mm -hmm. section. And so maybe it's how they increase. But within that, there is that caveat of where the state decides to do things and mandates localities and how it overrides or, or disregards local land use development. And so it's going to be interesting as those bills move through how those priorities from the state end up combining with the legislators that are promoting those bills for the governor on behalf of the governor's office, and then with all the different groups, apartment association, realtors, home builders, um, landlord coalition groups, and all the other stakeholders and how we navigate and be able to, to make policy make sense, mm -hmm. you know, in the protection of private property rights. And so that is obviously, you know, where we spent the majority of our time this morning <laughs> trying mm -hmm. to figure out what works and what doesn't work and right. 
Some of it is very painful. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I, I could summarize that sentiment anymore. And we could obviously talk about the specific bills and how they impact respectively our community, our state homeowners, and obviously our feelings as, as a realtor organization. Uh, and, and there's almost 50 bills that have already been introduced that we're monitoring through our LPC group. And so there, there's no way we can get that all in a half an hour. So right. there might be two or three that we, we might want to touch on that might probably be more important to our right. members with respect to helping their clients, especially own rental properties, um, how they might be able to navigate through some of these bills and what we're watching on their behalf. Right, and I, I mean, I would think that for us, like the pressing issues even last year that they carry through for this legislative cycle, that we were on amending, our industry amends bills because we try to come to the table that we know it's going to pass because there's really, there's no stopping legislation in Colorado right now. There's a super majority, it's almost veto-proof, and so the majority party... If they want something, they can have it. And right. it's a matter of how, within that minority voice, we can articulate the points and the protections of private property rights and making things a little bit better. So what carries from last year is obviously warned of habitability, carries a first right of refusal that has to do with, you know, the transaction, the government's ability to come in and, and have the first right to, to say that they want to mm -hmm. buy a property or not. And then limits on on residential occupants, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, occupants for for the state. This is a state legislative, right. um, mm -hmm. you know, policy. And, and and what are some of the other issues that you guys are are just a little concerned about? Well, those those are some of the big ones. Uh, there's there's bills that they are trying to introduce, or will be introducing and have, and that kind of get us into a situation where it's going to make it very difficult for the landlord to be able to evict a tenant or once the lease is up, have the tenant move out without it costing the landlord right. two to three months of rent. Uh, that's going to make it very expensive for them to be able to keep their properties. Um, the right of first refusal that you mentioned definitely affects people who are trying to do 1031 exchanges because the timing windows that they've got in this bill mm -hmm. are way outside of the 180 days that you have as a property owner to exercise and and finish a 1031 right. exchange. So that's going to make it very difficult as well. Um, and there's a lot of things in there that gives the government an advantage over the private individual who's trying to make an offer on that property. And some of the legislation even has things in there that I think are contrary to our license law as realtors that we have to abide by within our contracts with a seller with respect to giving information to the buyer that's competing against right. other buyers. And that's in the legislation. So there's a lot right. of things like that that I'm right. concerned and those about. Are, you know, those are like the general concerns that, you know, the policy mm -hmm. sounds good. You know, you, I mean, and I'm not saying you and I, but in, in general, legislators come at it from the perspective that they want to promote policy that makes things better for all Coloradans. And so in their mind, oh, first right of refusal. It's like, hey, you know, let's, let's allow the government, you know, the right to come in and say that they can take a, a stab or a bite it at the apple when it comes to, to being able to, to be up for the purchase of, of a piece of property or, 
you know, like a multi-unit housing complex. Mm -hmm. You know, it sounds really good on, on, on the merits of it, but it's contradictory to what everything that we stand for in the industry where it's about private property rights. And when individuals are having to compete with the government for that same dream of home ownership is really difficult. And I'm not sure that while the sentiment is they're coming at it for, they want to be able, the government wants to be able to, to have subsidized housing mm -hmm. for folks. That's great and all, but then you're imparting your will on an individual, on a private citizen, mm -hmm. and, and anytime we allow the government to come in, I mean, this is the, I always go back to, we are the United States of America for a reason. We were not set up like the Soviet bloc of the 19, pre-1980s, you know, we were not set up like the Iron Curtain, mm -hmm. Federal Democratic Republic of, of Germany. We were not those countries when we were set up. And America was set up in such a way because our founding fathers were very adamant about making sure that we had everything for the potential of individuals and businesses to thrive, flourish without the heavy hand mm -hmm. of, of the crown, right? right? And where we are today is we're seeing a picture where, you know, like the bureaucratic structure keeps growing, not only in Colorado, but our entire country. And, and it's like, how is it that individuals can pursue that free enterprise creativity, uh, small business, you know, dream if they're going to have to compete against the government, which keeps growing and growing. And so this is not even about ideological differences. It's about where do we want to be as a society? And, and it's very difficult for our folks, you know, to not want to, to yell at us, right? And say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you, you, this is not partisan politics. You know, if you're a Democrat, you're probably thrilled, you know, that the majority is, is reflective of your personal views. But we're not here on the Republican or the Democrat side. We're here on the realtor side. Mm -hmm. And it's we stand for private, you know, private property rights, the expansion of the enterprise system, free enterprise system. Mm -hmm. And free does not mean that people get it free. It means that you have that free access to be able to compete right. for things mm -hmm. and be entrepreneurial. And, and so it no longer stands as free enterprise or private property rights when the government gets to dictate play on, on things. And yes, I'm editorializing it, you know, based on, on the way I see my lens, but as the advocate for this association for our realtors and our consumers, it's very difficult, you know, to not have a little infuriation about how everything is playing out in our current political environment because little by little those private property rights are being chipped away and i'm not sure that me screaming at the top of my soul lungs <laughs> is enough for other people to see that this is a problem elections have consequences and mm -hmm. and it really is there's not enough folks within our because we do have those folks within the democrat party right now in the state legislature but there's not enough of them those reasonable-minded common sense democrats that are, are, they're needing more help. And the majority of their party construct right now at the mm -hmm, Capitol mm -hmm. is not seeing things the same way that they see things. Right. 
some of those friends of ours have been realigned or re reassigned to different committees. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult for us in the legislative process to be able to stop the bleeding, if I could say that. Uh, true, true. And, it, you know, I think, too, there's a lot of unintended consequences that comes with well-meaning intentions. And one of the biggest things that the governor is pushing is he wants more affordable housing. Right. Well, if you reduce the supply of housing through some of these laws that they're trying to pass, which will drive investors and landlords and property owners out of our state and they will right. invest their money elsewhere, you will reduce the supply and the demand will stay high and that's never going to bring the price down. But they don't seem to understand that that's going to be the consequence. And actually, when you read some of these bills and you see who some of the sponsors are, they seem to be bills that are really written in such a way that they're going to be very easy to go and sue landlords on right. and be able to have class action lawsuits right. against landlords. And some of these attorneys practice that particular type of law. Right. And some of them are in the legislature right. writing these bills, which seems like a little bit of a conflict of interest that that's maybe not what's best for the general public of Colorado. Right. Well, but I mean, right now what we're also seeing and one of the bills that's actually being considered, I think today at 130 committee, has to do specifically with that landlord tenant uh, relationship, how the pendulum keeps swinging away from the landlord towards mm -hmm. the tenant because you know, there's there's sentiment that because rent is so high, it's all the landlord's fault. And I guess we can't, you know, like the white elephant is that, mm -hmm. yeah, landlords have to make money, but landlords have all sorts of expenses that go into play. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to maintain a property. They have to make sure that there's this warrant of habitability, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we've always had those things. We've had had pretty decent standards. So we can't control if there's bad apples within our landlord population. Correct. There's always gonna be slumlords. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's the laws of diminishing returns, right? Mm -hmm. You have good people just like you have bad people in anything. And so, but it's those bad people, the bad actors within any community that end up driving legislation. True. We have, the, the pendulum has swung to such an extent that landlords can no longer freely just be landlords. Right. They're having all these you know, constrictions put on them and restrictions and regulations and, you know, the cost of doing business for them having this piece of the American dream mm -hmm. to, to build wealth, to have capital is almost punitive. It's like, nope, you can't do that because somebody else doesn't have it. And where did we go into the society saying that these folks are, you know, should be you know punished and penalized mm -hmm. because they worked really hard to achieve that. And so how we fight as an association, as an industry, right, of association of realtors, to help the consumer and our clients be able to say, hey, you could still get into, you know, multifamily property or a duplex or whatever, if that's your investment, that's your, your dream, we could still do that. But it's also incumbent on us and it's incumbent on our members to understand that don't get upset when we're supporting certain candidates or certain issues because there's two sides to the equation. The sound bites at the media post are really good, but this is why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there's lots of people and there's a growing community of interest within our realtor association of folks that are really passionate about being advocates for the homeowners. And, and so not only are they helping you help yourself pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. It's 
they're doing all this because we need to make sure that home ownership continues to thrive and and there's never been a better time for all of us to be like enjoined in this fight but we can't do it alone right no. and we can no longer be an association of people that don't care about what the politics is because politics very much cares about what your business is and this is why they've been chipping away at our rights and increasing mm -hmm. regulations because they, the politicians, are busy taking away your ability to make a living. That's right. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's what I said, man. I just sit here and it really drives me nuts <laughs> that I can't convey enough how people ought to be interested. I may care about it. it it's right. what I do, right? right? Day in and day out. Right. And just because I care about it doesn't mean that everybody has to care about it. But I could have done this by myself and been the sole advocate 20 years ago without a problem. Mm -hmm. Today... They really don't care, and they, again, is our, our political legislative right. bodies. They don't really care about the hired, you know, professionals that are doing the lobbying or advocacy. They want to hear from the populations, right, that are mm -hmm. being affected. And I think that this is where other folks are succeeding against our interest. It's those emotional stories. It's those, you know, I, I don't want to say that emotions win at the end of the day but most of the time they are winning at the capitol and those committee rooms and testimonials are are flooded with people that are mm -hmm. impacted negatively right. and it's not our people crying <clears throat> it's i mean and i'm not trying to be insensitive it's all the people that are on the other side of our issues that are winning that conversation they are winning the dialogue because their emotional outbursts are playing a bigger role in what we do because our people are too busy helping consumers and their clients do what it is to achieve their dream of home ownership. And so I'm not trying, that's what I'm not trying to be insensitive about it. I'm just being realistic. How is it that we can get those people within our group and our communities mm -hmm. to care enough that, hey, you know, this is, it's not just about me being able to sell a home today and, and be at a closing or, or do whatever it is, write up a contract. It's, the five or 20 minutes or the hour that you might give today may save a lot more of a headache right. down the line. And we are getting beat in the legislative directives because we don't have the people that are willing to stand up and fight. And like I said, you know, we might be a community, our state legislative policy committee might be a group of, you know, 77 people, 44 of them vote for, for positions. Right. Our local uh, public policy committee might be 40 people, but those numbers are not enough. No. And, and so this is where we're seeing the results of, of the legislative action. And yeah, it matters when election November 2024 rolls around, but it's not enough to stop legislative policy from happening right. in 2023, 2024, mm -hmm. and anything else that's already been right. in the works for years. And yeah. so how do we do that call for action, right, to, to move the rug under our members' feet and, and even the consumers? Help us help you. I mean, it's, I, I can't even, so I, said, I can't emphasize it enough, but it's frustrating. Well, and a perfect example of what you're talking about is everyone's seeing their property tax bills now. They're right. starting to get the realization that my property taxes have increased okay. substantially. Well, we all were told that we needed to get rid of the Gallagher Amendment and this would make this all better and we wouldn't have these issues and now we have these issues right. and now everybody's upset because they didn't pay attention back then. 
this is the same thing. They need to be paying attention today because you're right, the landlord or the property owner has a lot of expenses, one of which is their taxes. Yep. So because their taxes have doubled, and especially in properties that are multifamily properties, such as we're talking about, they have to pass that increase on to the tenant. Right. So you're not helping with affordable housing. So what are they going to do? They're going to take their money, they're going to sell their property, they're going to move to another state that has lower taxes, less regulatory climate, and we've reduced the supply of housing in Colorado, which was not the intent of what the governor is trying to do. So I really think somehow we have to get our members and we have to get the media to understand that there are some serious issues with some of these these uh, bills that are in the right. in the Senate right now in the House that need to be addressed and need right. to be communicated. And whether it's social media, the evening news, this podcast, whatever it is that needs to get out to the to, to people. Yeah, but it's even I mean it's even complicated to throw in the media and have a sense of expectation that they will be our allies. I mean we would like to convey that message, but I think we know it. I mean there's very little media. I think that it's up to us in citizen journalism to be able to promote that which we are trying to, you know, to be successful with. And in this case, it's we are using a, a means of a podcast to convey to our members, this is important, get involved, care about this, because the media is not going to curry our favor. You know, they have all sorts of other stories to cover. Mm -hmm. It, They obviously like to report on affordable housing, but are they going to report on the affordable housing and all the effects that it has on our community and the impact from a, a lens that actually talks about these are the unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. And rent control is a prime example. We haven't even thrown that in there right now. And that's coming. Mm -hmm. It hasn't oh, yes. been introduced yet, but we know it's coming. Mm -hmm. And so... Where in this balance do people think that all these policies that sound really good, oh, we're going to control the levels of rent because it's going to make it more affordable. And they don't talk about the fact that it doesn't make it affordable for anybody. <laughs> it affixes that level of, of whatever you're paying. And then there's all these other collateral damages, if mm -hmm. I could say that. Sure. There's no upkeep on the properties mm -hmm. because those landlords that have to you know, abide by rent controlled um, tenant aspects. It's like there's no incentive. There's no incentive to actually do anything to, to make a property better. And so then you have properties that will start falling into the blighted you know, mm -hmm. perspective of mm -hmm. things. Sure. And, and then who does it benefit? It benefits no one, not even the tenants in those properties. And so while it, at first, it sounds really good that we're going to do this because it's going to help consumers pay cheaper rent. And I'm like, what about the laws of, of you know, economic supply and demand? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let the free market dictate how things play. And again, I go back to it. This is where we firmly believe in the free enterprise system. It's not obviously the same as a free market, but free market solutions always end up dictating. Sometimes they, they work really well. Sometimes they don't work so well, right? Mm -hmm. But let the free market have at it instead of saying, we're going to come in and have the government control something, create regulatory structures that end up like almost clamping down on people. It crushes the spirit, and I'm not sure why people can't understand that. I mean, the government is not really here to help people's lives be better. And I know that that might be my lens, 
but they're there to help in certain extent. Infrastructure, that's one mm -hmm. of their basic services. Sure. They have to do road maintenance, upkeep, things like that. It's not the job of the government to make me feel happy about my environment. I am at free will, you know, to make me feel better about life. And if I'm waiting for the government to make my life better, then I'm obviously misguided as to what the role of government should be in my personal well-being. And I think that this is, you know, the disconnect that we have as a society right now that people are thinking that the government is there to, to improve their lives. Right. And we're obviously failing well, as a society yes. when we expect the government to make us happy Absolutely. because that's not it. No, they, they're not. And they're probably the most inefficient provider of goods and services that there is. And you can see that in countries where, as you mentioned, like in Germany and, and Russia and places like that, where the government has provided things in, in Eastern Germany that the, the services were terrible. You can look at Cuba. Cuba was a beautiful, beautiful place until Castro came along and the, the island fell in disrepair because the government couldn't provide all the services from a centralized location. Right. The free market system does that better than any other system out there. And so to see that they're pushing and the media is in, in helping them push the narrative that they know better how to provide right. housing and services for the public, it just bothers me a lot because they obviously don't and they everything they do costs way right. more than it should. So get out of your get stay in your lane and let the private right. market. Handle I mean, and I, and I know that we have. I mean, because we are a wonderful amalgamation of, of citizens in this country, whether it's Americans or, or wherever people have come from. I mean, I understand that. Like many folks, like I always say, yeah, you know, my background, I have you know, like Spanish, and I have, you know, my dad was from one country, my mother's from another South American country. You know, we lived here. And but we understood the differences of, mm -hmm. of those societal, you know, like formations. And and I know that I've got many friends within our industry here that do come from different countries. Mm -hmm. And so they have their perspective and their view is that things are better, you know, in a socialistic approach. And so that's why it should be experimented here. But I'm like, I could tell you that expecting or having this norm or i mean and i will say that it's it's almost utopian to think that we could set everything in this growing country what are we at 336 million, million people mm -hmm. well, yeah. and and without you know the current um influx that, that we're having right that we're experiencing but the situation is you cannot expect everybody there's no free lunch there is no such thing as free no, lunch no. we were not set up like that 200 plus years ago no. And so for people to think that we could go in and now make it a free lunch society, somebody ends up paying for it. Always. And this is where you mm -hmm. see, you know, like the, the push for taxation, mm -hmm. right? That the taxes have to be able to pay for the services that we keep, you know, thinking and telling people that they're free. They're not free. Somebody's going to pay for it. And so that's why I said it's, it's in me in deference to all those members that we do have that came from other places that... You know, there, there's different, different idealistic approaches to how we can make the U.S. better. But the U.S. was set up as a certain experiment that worked great for many years. And right now we're seeing those pressure points really drive it, you know, to an, um, an insolvency level because we cannot continue taxing people through what we have and then expecting folks to 
have a piece of the American dream. And I think that this is where all these policies are starting to blend. They're starting to really um, create a disconnect between you know, those basic services that the government is there for, whether it's local, state, federal, and, and how our members need to, I guess, understand that public policy is having a bigger role in mm -hmm. how they transact business because of unintended consequences in the legislative environment that are making it more difficult, you know, for that dream of homeownership, right. for real estate transactions to flourish. And we will get through it, you know, the storm will pass, right? But right now it's very difficult because our state and federal government keep throwing policies that are unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Totally. With, you know, at the federal level, let's print more money for, for X, Y, and Z. But then in turn, we're going to tax, whether it's increased the rate of taxation for businesses, we're going to increase the rate of taxation for individuals, the state level, we're going to make businesses pay for more. We're going mm -hmm. to increase, you know, fees, services, all these different things. There, you know, people are not going to be, and then we're not going to tell people the, the truth that inflation is very much a part of what we're experiencing. Absolutely. So. Mm -hmm. It, that's why it, it's so tough right now. I mean, I I could go down a different approach and, and talk about different things about this stuff, but I I can't even um, begin to comprehend if our members are not passionate and engaged now. We could still course correct little by little, but we have to start right. sooner rather than later right. with our industry. And right now the time is for our members to step up, heed the calls for action when we put them out, mm -hmm. You know, when we say, please help us communicate with legislators, tell them that this is not good public policy, we're not crying wolf. It's right there. We don't right. want people calling us after and say, hey, I heard that this bill passed. You know, why didn't you guys do anything? Well, we know we tried doing something. We just right. didn't have the votes right. to kill it. Or right. we didn't have enough people right. showing up when, when mm -hmm. it mattered for us to stop mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. crappy piece of legislation for... I, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. A lot of this stuff is really crappy, and we're trying to make the most of it in the midst of a very difficult uphill battle when it comes to the preservation of private property rights. Well, there's a great book out called Who Moved My Cheese? And it's really kind of about nobody pays much attention to things that are going on around them until they start directly affecting mm -hmm. them. And by then, it's too late. They've moved your cheese, and you don't have your cheese anymore. So I think what you're saying and what we're trying to communicate is pay attention now, get involved, right. testify, make your voice heard, because otherwise you're going to lose your cheese. Yeah. And once you've lost your cheese, you're done. You don't have any more. So right. they now have your cheese, and then they'll give it to you in the bits that they want you to have it. And that's the real issue that I think we have to try to get communicated to our right. members as well as to the media. And it can work. There was a bill that was tried to get passed or introduced about uh, putting registration fees on all different kinds of pets. And there was such a public outcry that that bill has been removed. Well, but, so, but it has legs still. But it's... It, but I heard on Friday that they're, they're still... They're still coming back yeah, with it. I mean, so yeah. when, when UPA, this is like the, the magic Goldfish of, Union got upset about it and they're involved <laughs> now or what? I, so this is when I say that nothing is really dead until they adjourn 120 days after the mark of the session, right? So this will be May 8th would be, I think, they adjourn May, uh, January 10th. So I think it's May 8th, mm -hmm. maybe, give and take. Um, 
But the bill, yes, there was public outcry, and it had been postponed indefinitely. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, this was on Wednesday, and then on Friday, it seems like the bill still has legs. And I'm like, um, only in this current political environment could you see things that are flatlined be revived. And so my point is that nothing is really dead until it has been... And, and along those lines, and it has been it, it has been actually buried, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. sent out to sea. Along those lines, in the couple of minutes we have left, you mentioned this morning that they're trying to change the rules in the state house. They did to basically make it to where the last two weeks of the session, mm-hmm. if you disagree with a proposed bill, there will be no discussion. Right. Uh, that does they not can seem shut like down that's. Debate. Yeah, that does not seem like that's beneficial to the citizens or to the process, right. democratic process that we have in this state. Do you want to touch on that for the sure. last couple so minutes? Sure. So last year what we saw is that three days, the last three days of the session, which is, you know, technically the 72 hours, it because the calendar is so overwhelmed with last-minute legislation, they're trying to reconcile differences mm-hmm. in bills from the Senate and the House, conversely. There, there are certain rules, parliamentary procedure rules within the House and the Senate that rules official rules of business can be suspended and so it's just kind of like okay you know you pat patch it through and that means that the dynamics of being able to debate bills change Uh, the consideration of bills on the calendar you could take one thing you know versus another It, it literally gets sent over to the other chamber they come back you know they can do concurrent committees things like that right it's it's Mm -hmm. a free-for-all but it's within that process in order to make those deadlines before they have to adjourn on the 120th day of the session. Mm-hmm. So this year, it is now 10 days, which technically will amount to the last two weeks right. of, of the session because the weekends don't count. Yeah. You know, it's they business work on days, Saturday technically. And Sunday. I mean, yeah. last year they did work on, on <laughs> Saturdays and Sundays a lot. But so it's giving them the last 10 days of the session to pretty much suspend the rules of of mm-hmm. business, of regular business. Mm-hmm. And and so it entitles the Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, to pretty much just shut down debate on, on legislation that somebody might not like. And I'm saying, who who has accountability on that, right? Because the majority of citizens don't really pay attention to all the semantics about the legislative bills. They actually don't, most, most people in Colorado really don't give mm-hmm. a rats about mm-hmm. Well, if you read them, they're Political hard to understand. They're, they're, yeah. And so it, this is not the Super Bowl, right? People are not going to be entertained. They're not going to want to watch this. This is not the puppy bowl either, you know, if you're an animal lover. The legislative cycle is for people like us. We're gluttons for mm-hmm. punishment. We want to hear what's happening, why we care about these bills. And so for us, it matters that the rules are suspended for 10 days and that the normal operational procedures are not you know considered because if i don't like something i could shut it down and so that that's not cool it's not it's not democratic and you know for all the the dialogue of of it being a democratic society it fails the smell test because mm-hmm. you're shutting down a group that you don't agree with because it doesn't you know fit in with with what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all the talk of, of you know, the governor and his uh, opening address to the state, 
let's disagree better, right? He mm -hmm. wants disagreement to be better. Well, how can disagreement be better if, You're not if the party on the side of the governor's um, agenda is saying, we're just going to suspend the rules and for 10 days, mm -hmm. you know, before right. we adjourn, we're just going to push policy, whether you guys like it or not. Right. And so those are our issues. And I would hope that Governor Polis, you know, and somebody within his office actually like says something, <laughs> but it, it's, it's a done deal. I mean, mm -hmm. these bills, all these procedural bills have already been right. read through the record. They've already been voted on. And of course they've been passed on party line votes. Mm -hmm. And so sure. it, it's very difficult, you know, to, as a as as a lover of the process, I'm like, wow. I mean, not even when the Republicans controlled everything, you know, I, I don't remember ever seeing something no. like that. Mm -hmm. And so and I used to work at the Capitol in those days. So it's very different to to have that flip of the equation, but then again the Republicans didn't control with so many, you know, like wide margin of, of seats, right? So they still had to work and cross party lines and you know, and Republicans considered some really stupid bills when they controlled everything, but they didn't shut down debate. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It, it bills got argued, debated. They mm -hmm. the clock ran out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, it's it's that's where sometimes I'm like, wow, this is really fascinating. It's never. This is really not civil discourse. No, it's really not. No. So, but this is what we're up against, and you know, and our committee is is doing great work for. You know, for its membership, and you know, and we hope that more people, you know, get ginned up because <laughs> get involved. Yeah, we need you to get involved. Yeah, we need yeah. you to get involved. Yeah. We need you to help us out. Yeah, exactly. Well, as you can see, it's been another busy month at the public public policy meeting. Um, I'm Weldon Shaver. I'm the chair of the public policy committee. This is Dr. Clarissa Thomas, and we thank you for joining our podcast today. And we'll see you next month. Thank you for tuning in to the Policy Pulse podcast. Please come join the Public Policy Committee meetings. It is always held on the second Monday of every month from 8.30 a.m. to 10 a.m. in the PPAR conference room.